Will you pray with me? Jesus, we've promised to serve you to the end. We pray for your grace to follow you. For you are our master and our friend. May the Holy Spirit keep working in this room to turn our hearts away from idols and other things and people to serve you. Amen. My wife Jen has uh, two notes that I wrote her when I was in the fourth grade. Still, do you still have them, Jen? Oh, was, oh, I wrote you more than two? Okay, good. Well, I was romantic. Um, and so she was my childhood girlfriend in Brookhaven. And she still has the note that says, will you, be, will you go out with me? And a little box that says yes. A little box that says no. I might have put a maybe, you know, give, give people lots of choices. Um, and, uh, but then there's another one that I wrote her. I'm not real proud of this one, but it was, I think it was in the fifth grade. And it was like, dear Jen, there's a lot of cute girls moving into Brookhaven. I think, I know, it was terrible. I think we need to cool it off. I don't want to two-time you love Bruce. Um, I wish I hadn't written that one. She still kind of dangles it every now and then over my head. But hey, I came to my senses, right? I came to my senses. You know, letters are really interesting. I don't know if you have a postcard or a letter from a parent or maybe something that uh, someone wrote, uh, but letters say a lot about us. But you need the context of the letter to really get it, right? Now, in our New Testament Bible, I believe there are 27 New Testament books in the Bible And except for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all letters. All of them are letters. Many of which Paul wrote, but some that Paul didn't. Even the book of Revelation is a letter to the seven churches. So, we've got this letter today before us for the next couple of weeks. It's Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. And I hope you caught just how joyful and jubilant it was. We always remember you in your prayers. How you, uh, we, we remember, that we don't even have to tell other people about you. They're telling us about you. About your work of faith. About your labor of love. And about your perseverance or steadfastness of hope. So a little bit about Thessalonians, a little bit about the background to help us figure out this letter a little bit better. Thessalonians is the earliest letter of Paul. That means it's the oldest book in the New Testament. Paul wrote it around 52 AD. So we're reading the oldest book in the New Testament. Um, You could fit this letter on two eight by five, uh, eight, eight and a half by eleven inch sheets of paper so it's short could have been read right there in the church out loud to all the people now it's got three names on it not one because Paul always worked in teams at this point he's working with Paul um, he's working with Silvanus and Timothy in other parts like in Romans he works with women as well alongside to share to share the gospel 
He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Silvanus was also known as Silas. He was uh, a very experienced companion of Paul, and he traveled all over the place with Paul, and he traveled all over in this second missionary journey, which this letter is a part of. He was the one stuck in the jail in Philippi with Paul when they got out, when the earthquake happened. When Paul first came to Thessalonica, he came, uh, he came with him, Silas did. So therefore, uh, Thessalon- uh, the Thessalonians even knew Silas well. Timothy is from modern-day Syria and Turkey, and it's a city in the province there. And you can read about Tim in Acts 16. He was the son of a Greek father, Acts 16.1. Jewish mother, his Jewish mother was named Eunice. And from his youth, he learned the scriptures from his mom and his grandmom, like a lot of us, right? Timothy 1 uh, three, and 3. He was a trusted companion of Paul's as well. So Paul founded the church in Thessalonians. And so what I want you to do this week is take out your Bible this week and read Acts like 16 through 19. You can really get the background of the story, but let me give you the cliff notes. They go into Philippi and they share the gospel of Jesus. He talks both to Jew and Gentile about how Jesus, the Messiah, had to suffer and that uh, place your trust in him and he had mixed results. They would get, uh, get a lot of people, get the attention of a lot of people, and they were pretty interesting until the church leaders, or the leaders in the synagogue saw that they were pulling from their people. I guess they were worried about their membership. But he, uh, in Philippi, he was very, very uh, popular and started a group there until some, a mob came and ran him out of town. He goes to Thessalonians or Thessalonica, does the same thing. He brings in Jews, Gentiles, some prominent women, it says in Acts. And everything's good until the church leaders get mad at him. And then they run him out there. They had to sneak him out of, uh, of uh, Thessalonia. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm having, anyway, I'm getting tongue-tied, but I'll get there. They took him to Berea, about 50 miles away, where he preached and taught in the synagogue and started a church there. But the people in Thessalonica were so mad at him that they, the mob that ran him out of Thessalonica went to Berea. They were so scared for Paul's safety that they hid him. They sent him to the coast of Greece. Not a bad place to be, to be hiding and wait, waiting. But there he was. And then he finally, it says, took a boat all the way down the country to Athens where he preached and taught and started trouble there. Everywhere Paul went, he started a church because he knew that nobody could, could follow Jesus all alone, that we needed each other. And there would need to be places where people could gather together and provoke one another to good works and to strengthen their faith. And Paul, after that, went to Corinth. And this was a few months after that. So we're talking about a year and a half later after he started this church in Thessalonica when finally uh, Silvanus and Timothy caught back up with him in Corinth. And they told him, and by the way, Paul was depressed. He was weak and he wondered after getting thrown out of town for the fifth time whether any of this was worth it. 
You can read about it in the early letter of the uh, Corinth, right? And he was so excited that the church had taken root and was continuing to grow in Thessalonica that he wrote him a letter. And this is the letter that we've got. First Thessalonians. Paul was so excited about this church. And I'll tell you why. You can see it in the opening, the introduction of it. He loved their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness and hope. You heard those words before? Faith, hope, and love. But you see what Paul loved about Thessalonians is that it was not abstract. They weren't just saying the words. They were living it out. And you know this. True love brings about work. True love brings about, produces something called work. And there was a grit to First Church Thessalonica that he loved. The labor of, the labor of love. Faith brings, produces work as well. And he loved that. And then finally, hope. Faith, hope, and love. That is why he was so excited. Your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, despite all the problems. Notice, notice that what made Paul really excited about the church, notice what he doesn't say. He didn't say, your building is all that. Man, that's awesome. I love your building. Oh my goodness, your programs are great. He never says that. He doesn't say, boy, that silver-tongued preacher is really rolling there. I'm so excited. What did he say? You're putting your love and your faith and your hope to work. You've got grit. Paul stresses not only the virtues alone, but rather upon what they produce. What kind of, what kind of fruit is that church pr producing? So the faith produces work, the love produces labor, and the hope produces patience. And he says, everybody's talking about you. I know bad, bad news travels faster, or, you know, what do they say? R rumors can go around the world seven times before truth can put its pants on in the morning, right? But you know what? Good news does travel as well. Good news does travel as well. Everybody's talking about you. We don't even have to tell other people about you. So I've really got a simple challenge and a question for you today. Well, the challenge or the truth about this is the world needs more than words. The world needs more than words. The world needs more than a message. The world needs examples of faith, hope, and love. The world needs gritty churches who are launching out and taking some risks and serving others. The world doesn't need big buildings or fancy programs or fancy talking preachers. The world needs faith, hope, and love. And they need evidence that something's really changing in our lives. And so I ask you, what's the world saying about St. Luke's? What's the world saying about you and me? I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I'm not talking about beautiful music or lively worship or Wednesday nights. What's the world saying about us when we get out of this place? And when we're walking the streets? Does news ever travel there? 
Kenneth Carter. Y'all might remember he was a bishop from about 20 years ago. He was such an interesting guy. He was a bishop, but he had never served as a district superintendent. And his parents were as poor as dirt in Nashville, Tennessee. But somehow, someway, and he's still alive. He's still, he goes where most retired preachers go. Like re, 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 Retired preachers don't die. They just go to Lake Junaluska, right? And so that's where he lives, Grady. And so, and so but he's there and he still gets on his Facebook. And he's just a beautiful man. He's an amazing person. But every time Kenneth Carter would go to a church, like if he was going to preach the next day at a church, he would walk around the neighborhood and walk around the area in the church and he would just play dumb. And he would say, hey, tell me about that church. What, what do you know about St. Luke's Methodist? And he would listen. And he said the saddest and worst thing to hear is when people go, I just had no idea there was a church there. He said it would make them sad. He said many times, though, they would say, oh, yeah, they're in, the, they're, in, they're in the schools. They're doing some great stuff. Or they came by and knocked on my door and invited me. But what would people say about us today? Faith. Hope. Love. What are we producing at St. Luke's? Not just in word, but in power. Paul says, I, have, I know that you have... Receive the gospel not just in word but in power with full conviction. Following Jesus takes full conviction, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but it's hard to follow Jesus sometimes. He's a tough boss. And sometimes I want to revert back and just quit and give up. And I want to stop. Instead of giving people something to talk about. Instead of like Paul stirring up a little good trouble. And what does that mean in your situation? It says, Paul says, you're, the gospel has resounded through you. It sounded out. He's, he's talking about trumpet. It's almost like trumpet language. It has just resounded out and sounded out all these things you're doing. And in essence, our actions are... Our actions are our music. It's, it's your music. It's your trumpet. It's your letter, your love letter to the world. What you do and how you pray. We are talking about it just the other day. You know, um, when somebody says, I'm praying for you. That almost, that phrase has almost become trite. Like, I don't know what else to say, so I'm just going to tell you I'm praying for you. But you know, I bet you know it when somebody says that and they mean it. So when we tell somebody we're praying for them, do we pray for them? When we see somebody in need, do we give them a little bit of time? Even if they just need an ear? That is how the trumpet sounds in the gospel kingdom. That's how people start to find out about you and me with full conviction. Said with full conviction, you welcomed us. Now, in the second century, the church grew by leaps and bounds, not because of the big buildings and not because it was fancy. It, it grew because of a pandemic, worldwide pandemic that happened in the second century. That there was a, de a disease going throughout the Roman Empire that was so bad, believe it or not, family members were kicking out other family members into the street if they showed signs of symptoms 
of being affected by the pandemic. Who was the only organization that took them in? The church. And when people saw that this strange organization that served this guy named Jesus Christ who were taking in and, and providing a respite for people who were sick, they said, there must be some grit to this group of people. I need to find out more. You know, he calls them beloved of God. And in the Old Testament, that was really reserved for the greats. Abraham, Moses, and Elijah. But Paul thought that this was a term, not just a status, but it was for everybody. Everybody who received that love. Received that love. In another very old epistle that Paul didn't write, in James, it says, faith without works is what? Dead. But they both go together. And Jesus often talk, told the story about the parable of the sower. Sower went and sowed seeds. And some sort of dried out, not much conviction. Some got excited for a little bit, but didn't stay the course. But some, some of that seed fell on fertile ground. And it produced fruit like crazy. What are people saying about St. Luke's? What are people saying about you? Can they see your faith in action? And maybe could that not get a little stronger? Could we, get, could we grow a little bit in our faith? Grow more deeply? Now this is an old youth story that I bet every youth director has ever told to their youth. But I think it's important. And I want you to ponder this as you read through um, Acts this, uh, this week. And we're going to cover Act. Uh, we're going to cover Thessalonians two next week, talking about handling criticism. Has anybody ever been criticized in this room? Anybody? Okay. We're, next week, Paul's going to get to handling criticism. But today, I ask you this one question as we sing our closing hymn, and that is this. And we're going to get out early, so remember this now. Next time, I stay five minutes late. Um, if you were arrested under the suspicion. That you follow Jesus. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? My prayer is that when I walk around Fondren in this neighborhood. That people are talking about us. Not about the color of the carpet. Or how pretty our stained window glasses are. Which I love our stained glass windows, by the way. But they're talking about what you're doing. How you're working for love and for peace and for hope. May God bless us to be courageous enough to live these words, not just say them. Let us pray. God of all grace, God of all power, forgive us when we don't receive your love with full conviction. Forgive us when we've slept, walked through this life and have not given people much to talk about. Lord, change us. Help us to receive your goodness with full conviction so that we might fall in love with the labor of love with the work of faith, and with the steadfastness of hope. All these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen.
I invite us now to stand and sing 701. 